Beatball time. Oh, beatball time. That's what's up. Hey, <laughs> welcome to Beboppin' Time. It's a Beboppin' Time. We're having a not-so-special special episode with another guest. Hi. Oh, that's Felicia, by the way. Cody's wife and Hi. mother of their ch- ch- child. Her first podcast, so... Well, her first ever podcast. Yeah, she's a noob, not like us veterans. <laughs> yeah, six episodes in, you better watch out. We know the ropes. <laughs> There's a reason I'm not talking. <laughs> Fair. Well, so we when we first started the ep- podcasting, we asked people what they wanted to hear, and it seemed like a lot of people that a lot being the three people that commented uh, wanted <laughs> to hear about uh, EB, which. We'll start, I guess, with just the basics. By the way, Felicia is Isla's mom, Cody's wife. I know I said it, but I just wanted to make sure everyone kind of caught on to that. Right. I did indeed birth her. She is mine. That is true. I wasn't there, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> she did not birth me, but... She's, okay. She's also she's, Cody's mother. She's still, the, <laughs> she's, still, she's still also the boss of my life. Yes. Can confirm. Oh, my... So, I think it's, we're going to start with just the basics. Um, what is EB? So, Go, Cody, go Felicia, <laughs> Tony. Uh, so, EB stands for epidermolysis bullosa. You said it wrong. Just kidding. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> All right. Podcast is over. I'm out of here. <laughs> Uh, epidermolysis bullosa, which is a genetic skin condition that affects approximately 500,000 people worldwide. So the odds of somebody getting it vary somewhere between like one in 20,000 and one in 30,000, like chances that you will have it. So it's a, it's pretty rare, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know a lot about other diseases, so. It's fairly rare. Um, the epidermo piece stands for outer skin, and the lysis stands for breakdown, and bullosa means blister. And so, essentially, it just means that for kids or anyone with EB, they're missing a protein or a collagen in their genetic makeup uh, that makes it so that their skin doesn't adhere to itself like yours or ours, or, or ours would. And so, when you get a blister... Uh, your blister is just going to be the size of the place that you've had the incident happen. And with EB, they, any kind of rubbing or shearing will either shear the skin completely off or will create a blister because it doesn't adhere to its, itself like it should. And it will just continuously grow until it pops. And so, um, yeah, there's covered in wounds and blistering. And depending on the type of EB the severity will vary as well. Right. So EB is kind of different from like normal blistering situations because like I know like growing up and like Brian, I know you used to, you used to get bad blisters when playing soccer and stuff um, on your feet. But like I was always told a lot of like growing up, like that, like you don't pop blisters or whatever. You're supposed to like wrap them and like medicate them or like whatever and kind of let them like take care of themselves. 
I don't know how, how true that actually is in real life, but like with EB, like for us, like, so we have to basically lance blisters like as soon as they show up. So you want to take care of them. Cause like Felicia said, so like when it happens, like if you just leave it, like they'll just get bigger and bigger. Like you, if you can wrap it, but if they're not just going to stay the same size, like they'll, they'll get huge. So, yeah. Um, there's three different types. Um, well, three different core types of EB. So there's going to be simplex, dystrophic, and junctional. Simplex makes up about 70% of anyone that has um, epidermolysis bullosa. A lot of simplex is based off of a dominant trait. So it means that the, both the parents are... They have it. They actively show signs of it. It's something that they carry. They know that they do. Um, so it would be like if Cody had brown eyes and I had brown eyes. We both have that dominant trait of brown eyes. We exhibit that trait. Um, so 70% of EB carriers have simplex. It can be less severe. It can also be actually pretty severe. Um, it can range, but a lot of people with simplex are going to be on a little bit of a less severe. Right. Um, it's kind of a weird scale though, right? Like it can be like as little as like, like almost more like, uh, like, I don't know, not like dry skin, but like, well, they can grow out of it very quickly right. too, or they'll just have mild blistering and things of that nature. I mean, I think anyone's wish would be that their kid would grow out of it quickly. Um, but obviously we have friends in the community where that's absolutely not the case. Um, and then dystrophic or dystrophic, I actually don't know how to say it perfectly. I've heard it both ways. Yeah, I, don't know. I think it's dystrophic, yeah. but I, but yeah, I don't. Um, that can also be a recessive or a dominant trait. So, um, by recessive, what that means is you carry that gene, um, but you don't exhibit it and you can pass it down to, um, obviously a child, but your partner also has to carry that recessive trait. So it's highly unlikely that you can get that. And that's why within the dystrophic, recessive dystrophic, um, and junctional categories, it's, a, it's, it becomes more rare. Um, and dystrophic is if you ever look up epidermolysis bullosa, a lot of the pictures are based off of what you would see with a dystrophic child. So a lot of the webbing of fingers, um, they amass a lot of scar tissue. Um, I was going to say, we've talked about this a lot, that dystrophic seems to be like one of the, like probably like the most severe, hardest, like outward, mm -hmm. outward, like appearance wise and stuff like on the surface. Yeah. Uh, but like a lot of the people that you see that have EB that like, they just like, you can tell that they've been through a lot and suffered through a lot. A lot of them are, uh, dystrophic. Yeah. Um, and then there's junctional. Junctional is actually the type that our daughter has. It makes up 5% of the EB population. Um, at least last time I saw statistics on it. Um, so it is the rarest form. Um, and junctional, it's, so the reason why there's a simplex, a dystrophic and a junctional, it just depends on where it's actually, um, hitting the layers of your skin. Uh, so that's the differentiator between them where you're missing that collagen or that protein. And so Isla's is junctional, um, and it is only recessive. So Cody and I both carry the trait, um, but we don't 
um, we don't exhibit any of the symptoms or we don't like we didn't, for example, like neither one of us had any idea that we were carriers prior to Isla being born. Yeah. At which point we both obviously got tested and went through that whole process. But yeah, so like we just, we didn't have any idea. And it, if you are a recessive carrier, you won't have any idea until you have testing for some reason or another that can. Well, yeah. And you have to have specific testing for EB. So a lot of people said, well, if you had gotten testing for Isla before she was born, would you have been able to know ahead of time? And unless you know for a fact that you have those traits, they actually don't test for EB at all because it's so rare. So it's not one of the panel that they test for. So Right. In a nutshell, EB is something that is extremely destructive to their skin. Um, it also does affect their internal, um, like their, I can't say the word, meta, metacu, metamucil, metacusal membrane. Uh, but it's the, like their internal, so like their mouth, their esophagus, their internal organs. Like if you think about your tissue, like the skin tissue that you have, it's also internal. And so um, a lot of them have a lot of breakdown within eating, um, so on and so forth. So, and then there's three different types of EB. So that is EB. So do you guys know, um, if your family carries these traits or is it just you two or how does that, I mean, have you looked into like how it started or where it started? Um, so for our specific type, we don't know who we got it from, but it's likely that somebody had it as another as a genetic trait, and it got passed down to us. Um, it could also just be a fluke, like like it started with us. Yeah, like something. it could just yeah. be like a fluke issue with our genetic makeup, and that's why it's recessive. It didn't come through on like like neither of us know anybody in our like immediate families or anything like that who has EB or who suffers from EB at all. Like, so it was, it's basically just, it was like, it was all completely like new information and. Yeah. And that's just for our type. Obviously we have friends that there's like a lineage that they can track down because it's the dominant trait. Um, but if it's a recessive, it's really tough to track it down. Like, and genetic testing is just not cheap (laughs) when it comes to like the medical world. The, I know you said there's three different type. Are there sub categories of those three types? correct yeah there is i don't know all of them um and they've changed over the years as well so i know for simplex there's like a generalized severe um i don't know that category super well dystrophic there's recessive dystrophic and then there's just the dominant dystrophic so it just indicates whether or not it came from a parent or not and then for junctional um there's Junctional non erlitz and then junctional erlitz, but they've actually kind of gotten rid of that term as well. So right, and the different types. So for simplex, generalized severe is a little bit more severe. Um, like I said, for dystrophic, it's just dominant or recessive traits, and then for junctional, historically speaking, erlitz junctional is um, extremely lethal. So I don't think. I don't even know if there is a survival rate for an Ehrlich. For an Ehrlich, yeah. Um, they typically will pass away... Pretty quickly. ...within the first one year to two years of life. Um, so, you really burp on the podcast? I, it's happened before. 
been known to happen. Sometimes one just speaks out and you're like, uh, you like, unprofessional. Well, we're not a professional podcast. Yeah, we're not making yet. any money. Not with that attitude. That's and true. not with those burps. So, <laughs> Should we go back to the question asked before the podcast started? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pregnant. <laughs> well, and back to the, back to the, so like, the breakdown beyond like those like basic subtypes goes further because like there's all sorts of different mutations of of each type and so like there's certain mutations that have been seen like several times or multiple times like in eb patients and then like isla for example though has uh two different mutations and she has one mutation that's only ever been seen once before and then her other mutation has never been seen before. So we don't, like, have anything really to go off of for, like, as far as, like, expectation. So where, like, some of the other types where there's, like, a larger percentage, so, like, with uh, simplex and dystrophic where there's a larger percentage of uh, EB people who have them, you're more likely to run into somebody else who's had the same type or has the same mutation, and so you can kind of, like, game plan based off of, like, other people's experiences. And the mutation he's talking about is, like, the actual gene that gets mutated. So, like, if you look at your genetic makeup, however, like, crazy it is, they can pinpoint the exact gene that's missing or I think it's just missing. Yeah. Um, so, like, for Isla, it's specifically her collagen she's missing a collagen gene but there's like a laminin or a, like right is that yeah that word? Laminin. and then um for dystrophic it's also a lot of collagen but they're in different sections like i said and so it's literally a genetic piece that she's missing um and with her type some types can produce, like, the protein or the collagen that their body is missing. They just don't produce it as much as you should. So, like, if you think about somebody who's anemic, they're not producing enough, like, they're not getting enough oxygen to their blood cells. And so, but they still do. And that's kind of, like, how some of, some EB types can be. Um, Isla specifically, she just doesn't, there is none at all. So she has, she produces zero of that. And so there would be no hope of her starting to produce it unless there was some sort of gene therapy that took place. So, so you guys are obviously pretty educated on it because your daughter has it where besides uh, the internet and the EB community, like when I was born, where did you guys get your information or where do you go to? Like (laughs) what is out there to help you kind of learn about it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget when we had Isla and the doctors knew nothing (laughs) about it. And they like handed us a few pieces of paper they had printed off about EB because they didn't, (laughs) they couldn't teach us or tell us anything. So like we went to, we had Isla in a birthing center and initially we thought that she just had like these birthmarks on her hands and we're kind of like, Oh, like that's different, but cool. All right. Like that's fine. And then we quickly realized, okay, they're not birthmarks. Like, there's just large areas of skin missing. So it was basically just raw skin. And so uh, Felicia was obviously still recovering from having Isla. And so I went with Isla to the hospital. Uh, Randall's here in Portland. And, like, Randall's is a pretty, like, large, like, children's hospital 
like and through basically i think i mean ultimately through all of like legacy right Mm -hmm. there was one woman there right who'd experienced eb before yeah and she'd seen it and it was what like 13 years before or something like that it had been like 20 years ago yeah it had been like a long time since she'd seen it so like literally nobody on the entire staff in one of portland's like largest hospitals had any experience with it whatsoever um but to answer your question where do we find out most of it honestly it is literally just the internet in our community um there's not a lot of other places that we go that we would learn about it um we have a so isla has a whole team of specialists that we see as well um we have a genetic counselor and um her primary doctor is a dermatologist because it's a skin condition um and they've taught us some of it, but again, mostly by way of printouts. And so, um, the EB community is lucky in the sense that it is small. Well, they're not lucky, but one of the benefits of it being small is you can actually get fairly close to specialists, um, that are well known in the EB community. And so by, you know, a couple of degrees of separation, I can give them, Isla's genetic paperwork, and then they can take it to, like, for example, one of our friends took it to Dr. Toller, who is one of, like, the lead, you know, researchers and groundbreakers of EB, Um, and he took a look at her paperwork to try to give us some more answers about it, but aside from that, it's almost 100% EB community, online learning, and then because EB is so unique and it can display and Isla could have the exact same type as somebody else and their bodies could display significantly different. Um, and so a lot of it's just learning Isla as well and learning out how to figure out how to take care of her body. And so it just kind of becomes this like second nature where you just know what is going on. It's weird. Where is, uh, EB being researched or look, you know, like, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, where is it being researched at right currently? Like location or yeah, or like where where is it? I mean, yeah, I guess so. Like, who is leading the charge? There's there's two centers in the in the U.S. No, there's more than that. Well, there's two primary ones though, right? Denver and Stanford are the two largest. Maybe no, no. Doctor Toller doesn't work out of those. I don't know. There's a lot. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot. There's actually. I I was wrong. <laughs> So I guess my question is, like, if you were to take Isla to, like, a EB specialist, like, where would you guys go? Yeah, that's a good question. So I just recently learned that there is one doctor in Seattle that has some familiarity with EB, so that would be cool. Um, previous to that, it was Stanford. Stanford is the closest specialty clinic. So, and what that means is, like, they actually have, like, a whole, like, clinic that is dedicated to EB in the sense that, like, you have surgeons and anesthesiologists and dermatologists and dietitians and genetic counselors that understand EB where, where we are in like the Portland area or Seattle, you just find like one person that kind of knows it or maybe studied at an EB clinic or something. So I know there's another one in Southern California. I I think, um, there's definitely one in Denver there's a, like the East coast has a, I think several, I know, I think Texas does too. So Cody was very wrong. Again, <laughs> I was wrong. 
that the one that you said about Texas is interesting because I mean you, you guys have always I mean told us about how the weather has effects. I mean like the hotter weather has a different effect based you know on yeah. Isla than the colder weather. Um, so that that surprises me a little bit on Texas because it's a hundred degrees here all the time. So yeah, like, and I could be wrong. It could just be that we have a family that we know that sees people in Texas. I don't know very well about where all the specialty clinics are. I just know Stanford is one for sure. Denver has one for sure. And then I don't know after that. So there are two primary ones, no. Stanford and Denver. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. Uh, we just aren't familiar with them because they're not close to us. So like, There's yeah. one called CHOP, um, and I think it's Cincinnati, but I could be 100% wrong. That explains the scene in CHOP. Yeah, I know. That's why I was... Yeah. Anyways. Actually, that does... No, that does sound right, because I've seen people on the EB group talk about, like, going to Cincinnati, like, yeah. to take their kid to Cincinnati for uh, treatment or whatever, or, yeah. or then you can just get... Uh, had something to do with x-rays. Anyways. Yeah. So, like, they'll have, like, hospitals that definitely have... And I don't know where Dr. Fuller works out of at all. I... I I, I don't know. That's a really great question. Brian is his father name. Um, so let's let's sit there. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't I wasn't assuming it's a doctor, okay? Doctor doesn't tell me whether they're male or female. I just want you guys all to know that Isla is two and a half and my husband still is not one hundred percent sure how to spell the leading <laughs> doctor for eating. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I didn't even know his name. I didn't even I mean, sidebar, I barely know who Memphis's pediatrician is, so <laughs> I wouldn't get Yahoo too Yahoo Polar, um, University of Minnesota. Yeah, see, I'm like, they're everywhere. Let's get into Isla. Like, let's let's get into her specifically. Let us. Um, I don't know if, I we might have briefly mentioned it, but what is her specific EB? Yeah. Uh, Isla was born with junctional epidermolysis bullosa. Uh, did I say that right? It felt wrong coming out. I don't know. After you gave me a hard time the first time I said it. Uh, nah, yeah, you said it wrong. Uh, that's, I mean, that's it. Hers, her, uh, so statistically, like, for example, so we were talking about, like, so, at, you know, EB breaks down to 1 in 20 to 30,000 just for somebody to have it. Um, Isla's specific type breaks down to like, we think one in a million, it's, we it's, see different stats. We've seen one in 1 million. We've seen one in 5 million. Either way, it's pretty rare to have what she has. Word. So. Okay. That was good. That we answered the question. Okay. Um. <laughs> the, good, the good news here, folks, is that this is the last time that my wife will be guesting on the yeah. podcast. We thought we would try it out, and now we know. <laughs> it's a learning experience. I can't wait for Tracy to do it. Uh, so, a little bit more of a dark area. What Originally, her life expectancy when she was born was... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was a really shitty time. Am I allowed to say that on this podcast? You can say whatever the fuck you want. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Just, just lost all of our revenue, but yeah, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, all, all of our revenue. Uh, so when Isla was 
first born and we were in the hospital, we were told, granted, they didn't know a whole lot about her type or what she had because we hadn't gotten the genetic results back. And we were told five to six months uh, would be like an optimistic idea for her. Um, And then once we got our genetic results back from the geneticist, we were told two years, but that she was cautiously optimistic about Isla's condition. Um, And so obviously she's surpassed two years and she's doing amazing. Um, She doesn't have, at first they weren't sure because they hadn't seen her mutation. Um, Like they just weren't sure how it would. How it play out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier when I was saying that because, so because her mutation has only been seen in one person with one and nobody with anything else, there's no, like, there's no blueprint for anything. We don't, we don't have an expectation of what we can expect. The one person who had the one, like, there was even very limited information on her, right? Yeah. So what Cody means by that is I carry one mutation and Cody carries a different one. Um, and they just happen to be in the same genetic, like, spot. And so, like, Woo-hoo. while we have... <laughs> you guys are made for, made for each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really hit the lottery. Uh, so, like, while we both carry, we aren't carrying, like, the same. Right. And so, um, with the one that they did have a previous patient on, they were from the Swiss Alps. Um they'd made it to 18 or they were yeah i thought she i thought i thought that she was in like her early 20s the last time that they had record of her or yeah. something to that effect but it it from what i remember it sounded kind of like like either she just stopped being kept track of or yeah. like they didn't have any information like they didn't know if she was still alive they didn't know if she had died like yeah um, i mean i guess at some point like nothing's going to change for her so why you know if she could manage herself and stuff why would you yeah, I mean, a lot of people do it just because they want to help the EV community, but at the same time, a lot of people don't because they want to live their own life. Like, right. um, like, yeah, you have this really horrible condition, but, like, that's not who you are. Like, and so a lot of people do want to just move on and live a fairly normal life, so. Yeah. Well, I was um, two and a half, three in November. Yes. Two and a half, three in November, yeah. So you guys got a little mad, mad woman on your hands? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Time flies when you're changing poopy dice. <laughs> so, speaking of, I mean, obviously. Wait, speaking of poopy diapers? No, I was, I was in my head. I was also reading some notes. So speaking of the notes I was looking at, um, not Cody's poopy diapers. Um, your guys' – so let's go – Let's go over what your day is like with Isla. I mean, I know it's changed. Like, it hasn't changed in terms of what you do, but, like, obviously the timelines are different because as she gets older, she starts to understand and fight back a little bit. But without that extra stuff, what is her day like? Like, what is her typical day like? Yeah, um, not too bad. So we – recently it's been a little bit different, actually. So we used to get up – if I was working in the – so COVID changed our – the way we go about things a little bit. So if we, if I was working, we would get up and we would do just like a scan of her body and like see where she was at, make sure there was nothing crazy going on that Cody wouldn't need help with before I went off to work. Um, 
now we don't really have to do that. We do wound change early in the morning, um, mostly because that's actually what I prefer to do. There's not really a reason other than it sucks and I don't want to have to think, I don't want to have to like have it in the back of my mind for the entire day. I just want to get it done. So it's done. Um, and they start wound change around nine 30 every morning. Um, we do it every single day. We will take occasional days off, but it never really seems to work in our favor. <laughs> it did for a long time. I think we just had some bad luck because for a long time, I mean, we'd go like we'd take, we were taking Fridays off. Yeah. Like when you were in the office, we were taking Fridays off because you, at, when she was in the office, we were doing wound change in the afternoons. So Saturday, she would do wound change Saturday morning. So to go from Thursday afternoon to Saturday morning wasn't like, didn't feel like as huge of a leap as going a full two days. That's true. Uh, and so like we would take Fridays off, but for a long stretch, like it didn't feel like there was like anything like really like significant out of the ordinary, but it's just been like the last few week, few weeks or whatever Months. it feels like. If we skip a day, then she has something. But yeah, I mean, but she's also older and I was just gonna say, it kind active. Of, and, it, it changed once she got to the point that she's as active as she is now. Because um, Isla was also an extremely cautious baby, and then she's turned into a toddler that is not cautious at all. Um, so we do a bath time, bath time. We get the water ready. We always use salt within our in our baths, and the salt is just to take away the sting, obviously, of her wounds. Um, and then if we notice that her wounds look especially like red or they have any kind of like debridement on them that just doesn't look or feel right, then we will add bleach to our baths. Um, and then sometimes I'll add bleach to the bath if she's just got some really huge ones. So like the last few weeks, her feet have been really, really bad. And so we've added it a few times just to like combat infection. Um, so we get the bath water ready and then we do Isla's full undressing. Um, we do all of, most of all of her undressing outside of the bath. A lot of EB parents do it in the bath. Um, Isla's isn't as severe, so we can do it outside of the bath, fully analyze her body, see what we'll do. That. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, we also don't cut because we have to, so we don't have, um, our bandages aren't covered by insurance, so we also don't cut any of her bandages or anything off because we need to save them and rewash um, different types of bandages that she has. And so we have to be careful about that type of stuff, too. That makes sense. Um, so she'll, we'll get her undressed. We, we tend to her wounds if she has large blisters, especially lately. She fights pretty good, <laughs> and so... Five mLs of Tylenol. <laughs> well, that's not that bad. Uh, it usually takes, like, Cody holding her down, uh, and then me actually, like, cutting or lancing her wound, um, which is, like, fairly unpleasant for yeah. someone to experience or watch. So I'm really... I don't like anyone being around when it's happening. It's just... It's a lot. It's intense. And then we get her in the bath, and we usually let... So we'll do a full bath, like we'll wash her and everything. And then we let her soak for 20 to 30 minutes um, to help get some of her scabs off. Because if she keeps the scabs on her body, they start to harden, and then blisters form underneath the scab from the friction from the scabs. And so we try to help take off as much of the excess skin or scabbing that we can. And then we'll do... 
she'll go out of the bath, we'll do the full wound change. The kid is amazing. Um, once we actually start like putting bandages on, cause she just, we, we put on anything that she wants to watch at the time and she just watches it while we do it for the most part. Um, and then we always put on, she has like this itch cream lotion and then we put on eczema lotion. I don't really actually know if that helps more or less than other lotions. <laughs> we just, it's worked. <laughs> so we just go with what works. Uh, if she has especially like scabby or large wounds that are trying to heal, we'll put Aquaphor on them. Um, if we have ones that are having a really tough time healing, we'll put like zinc or um, like triple paste on them to try to help dry them out a little bit faster. We use CBD um, for itching. Or, like, she had some spots that weren't healing for a really long time. Um, so we'll use those to try to help. And then we just put bandages on her from head to toe. So um, she'll wear gloves if she has any kind of owies on her hands that are really bad. Uh, but if they're not that bad, then we try not to have gloves on her, especially in the summertime because it's so hot. We have her elbows almost always covered and they almost always have some sort of wound on them. Um, her torso, we keep covered with a large piece of bandage called a tuba fast, uh, or it's red line, or sorry, yellow line, tuba fast. And it just helps keep any of the bandages we put on her body in place on her torso. Um, and then we fully wrap her legs and her feet. Her feet are the worst spot. Her feet and her belly button, or, well, not her belly button, her tube. Or the two worst Or G2 spots. site, yeah. Yeah. Um, and all in all, it takes us... He starts at 9.30, and he'll get done around, on a good day, 11, 11.30. So good days are like an hour and a half. Um, and bad days for us are typically only about two, two and a half hours. So it doesn't vary too, too much. Yeah, so just a twelfth of your day. <laughs> Yeah, so every day we just only spend an hour and a half to two hours doing bath time. She has a G2, but does she still use it or no? No, uh, she doesn't. So we're actually looking into getting her G2 removed, which feels a little blasphemous among some of the EB community. Um, but when Isla was first born, she was hefty. Um, she, she was a big... She was, a, she was a porker. <laughs> <She> was. <laughs> so we were really lucky, actually. Isla was born at nine pounds, two ounces. Um, but she actually didn't gain weight for the first, like, two to three months. Yeah. And then it took her so long to gain any. So she was just, she was under 1% or under, like, she wasn't on growth charts. Um, and so we spent a lot of time in, like, the ER and the doctors and everything because she wasn't able to eat. Um, she was, she had a lot of involvement internally. And so at four months, um, things started to go really downhill for her pretty quickly in the sense that she was, she wasn't eating for multiple days. She was really lethargic. Um, and when you have an infant that young, they get dehydration really, really fast. And it just, the spiral effect of a baby that's not eating is, it goes very quickly. Um, and so... At four months, they did an emergency G2 placement for us, uh, and it was amazing. It sucked. That that whole process sucked. Ugh. But once we had it, it was really amazing because it, it helped. It did. 
like, in, it helps in ways that it's just crazy. So I guess basically for people who, who don't understand what a G-tube is, uh, I mean, basically it's a feeding tube, but they basically insert this little, like, button that you can basically, like, hook up to a pump so that you can pump fluids or milk or blended, blended up, yeah, like, proteins and different things, like, into their body, basically, to give them calories and give them the sufficient things that they need if they're not eating enough. Uh, not basically, literally. <laughs> I'm, I'm having the best time. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, like, to Cody's point, it's a G-tube that's placed, uh, it's actually near the, her belly button, and it goes directly into her stomach, so it's just, like, literally. literally. I didn't say basically. I know, but I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> it goes into her stomach, and so, it, uh, at the time, I was on a lot of medication as well that she wasn't taking orally, um, <coughs> like, at the time, it would take us... He's, you're a boss. Sorry, I, I just keep thinking of Chris Traeger in my head. What? You are literally. <laughs> you are literally. <laughs> I love it. Um, so we couldn't get medications. She couldn't, she was, she was breastfed for the most part, but she wouldn't drink. Wouldn't take a bottle or anything. And so it just made it so that we could actually get her nutrients. Oh, she was such a rat. Um, because <laughs> it was her fault. <laughs> uh, yeah, she didn't fight it. We, it's so bad that every single feeding we weighed her before and after to track how many ounces she was getting. It, like, it was insane. And we had to, like, send those reports to our doctors. So we had an infant scale at our house. Isn't that, isn't that so, like, doesn't it feel like, like, I mean, overkill might not be the word, but, like, in hindsight, oh crazy the fact that you're literally weighing your child before and after they eat to try and figure out how much, like, Food they, they actually yeah food they took into their body and we made like sure to like nuts. take off their her diaper every single time like it was crazy i'm gonna start doing that for myself before and after every meal <laughs> <laughs> quick little weigh in see how we're doing after uh, it was probably one of the most stressful times and she wouldn't take so we had to fortify her milk for a while to try to get her extra calories in and then she just wouldn't take a bottle like it was just not fun we tried syringe feeding for a really long time so anyways we got the g-tube um because once they're that injured too and they can't eat they just don't heal so like she wasn't healing from like the injuries that she had because she couldn't get the nutrients in she's just an infant um so once we got the g-tube in we used it fairly regularly at first yeah um Almost all the time. And then after a couple of months, it became more of an as-needed um, tool for us. Especially with liquid, she had a really hard time with um, pooping. <laughs> and so it did help that a lot. Because uh, it's something you have to keep an eye on for EB2 is they get, they can get really constipated and so on and so forth. And it just tears their internal organs apart so it's pretty devastating um so anyways after that we quit using it probably about a year or so after we got it placed maybe a little bit longer and we haven't used it in about a year now so we're looking into getting it removed 
We're also actually... looking into finding the pumps so that the FedEx guy can actually take them back. We've had, we've had this poor kid from FedEx. So the pumps that you use to feed the G tube to like feed the fluids and stuff into the G tube. So like because we don't use them, they like I don't, they reuse them, I guess. Or it's just a pump. It's just yeah. like a. But so the company has started sending FedEx to come pick up these pumps that we don't have any idea where they're at. And so, so the same the same kid from FedEx has showed up at our house like four, four or five times, times now. Like he's like, and the other day he was fine. Like he's like, please tell me you have something for me to take. And I was like, uh, I'm really sorry, man. Well, because so I talked to the company last week to tell them that we don't know where there are where they are. I will call you when we find them so that you can send them back out because I could we could tell that the kid was getting frustrated at being sent out and us not having it ready. And so I told the company, I said, look, I'll call you when we find the pumps, and then you can send them back out to pick them up. Well, he got sent out twice this week. <laughs> and so he showed, the first day he was like, please tell me you have something. And then the next day I was like, did they send you back out? He was like, yeah. I was like, I'm really sorry. He was like, I was like, we'll get, we'll get this figured out and try and get it squared away. I was like, and so he was a, he was a lot nicer about it that time around. But it's Actually, it's funny, though. So when she first got her G-tube, I think Cody and I – thought it would just be this easy like oh it's, it's so it's like such pour, a nuisance pour it straight into the tube <laughs> yeah like you know, like i think like i mean we were so ignorant to it and so like you think about like oh cool there's like a hole in her stomach i can just pour food into it it's great no it doesn't work that way yeah. like you could eat like a normal human so her like she could drink six to eight ounces of milk if she was like healthy and able to drink at a time within like she would drink that within 20 30 minutes max right with a g-tube it takes about two hours like you have to like you have to control the rate that it feeds into her stomach because feeding something directly into the stomach is different than like intaking it orally and then it going through all of the necessary channels so on and so forth and so you have to control the rate of speed so not only are you required to sit while with this thing for two hours what happens but she's also hooked up to a tube so like yeah. then when she started walking you're like <laughs> cool like she can literally just trip and fall over this thing at any point in time you know and and i mean one day happy easter uh was it easter uh, oh my gosh happy easter uh the tube got stuck under the door oh, hold on okay so the Obviously, she has a G-tube uh, in her stomach, and there's a line that's attached to the pump, and that line is, like, 10 feet long, and it's on, like, what you would see IV bags that hang from. So, like, Cody we had, like... Follow her around with a backpack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is also an option. Um, but it basically is a, like, IV rolling... My bob, and Cody. I love the rolling my bobs. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, um. <laughs> Cody's messing with the computer. It's throwing off my game. So, on Easter, Cody went to go get something out of our storage closet. Storage closet downstairs, and Isla went to follow him because she's a normal kid. And the line that was attached went underneath the door, 
and Cody went to pick her up to get her out of the closet and ripped her tube out. It was so funny. <laughs> so here's the thing. We can put in and take the tubes out ourselves. So we were, like, trying to put it back in because we know how to, like, take them and get them out. Couldn't get it back in, so... And you have a very, 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 very short amount of time before... It just closes. It closes. So it's one of, like, the... Like, you got your mouth and your tongue and how fast that heals. Your uh, stomach in that area is very similar. It just heals extremely fast. And so you have such a small window of opportunity for that hole to stay the same size and make sure you get the tube placed back in, in in a healthy way. So, of course, on Easter, we had to rush to the ER to get it in. And going to the ER with her is never fun because they, they're they not aware of EB. And so you have to f- advocate fairly aggressively to make sure that they're, like... Some nurses don't like that. <laughs> to make sure that they're, like, listening and understanding that, like, you can't do that with her because her body's not normal. Like, you can't use a Band-Aid. You can't put tape on her. Um... She can't have an IV place like a normal person can have an IV place, which is why we had to get a tube because she couldn't, like, get nutrients from an IV because her her skin will just lift. It just refuses it, and so it won't stay in. Um, so long story short, we got to the ER, and they got it placed after a little bit of finagling. So super fun. Uh, dad of the year. <laughs> yeah. So G-tubes are fun, uh, but they are extremely life-saving. It's pretty incredible. Um, and it's pretty neat cause I'm like a part of a couple of communities for medically fragile kids. And one of them is a tube community and it's just incredible. There are so many people who rely on them, like, yeah. like absolutely rely on them for like every meal, like to basically like keep them alive. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. It's a, it's just neat that we have that ability to keep kids alive with tubes. So so that being said, we're getting IELTS taken out. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> so I don't think we actually discussed um, what, like, what types of things would cause a blister on Isla. Yeah. Anything. Um, That's literally the answer. Literally anything. So it's actually really interesting. Isla, like I said earlier, Isla was extremely cautious. Um, as a baby up until about two years old. Yeah. Um, oh my word. Um, like, and she is still soft, like she's a soft handed kid. So like where normal kids like will hit or pull your hair or scratch or do things like that. Well, they do. Right. But But I'm thinking about Isla because Isla hitting you is like her walking up and she just like pats you like <laughs> she like barely like taps you like on the arm or on the leg or whatever like and that's her hitting it's not like a full force like anything like i just want you all to know that while we're doing this via podcast cody just tapped me about six times to demonstrate what that looked like this, so. is, a, this is a visual podcast <laughs> it's for your benefit um but anyways so she was a fairly like cautious kid but it's weird because you can like hold her there's moments where you're like oh my gosh it's for sure going to give her a blister and it does nothing and then there's other moments where someone goes to grab her hand and then just tears the skin off of her hand or um we've sheared the skin off of her like beyond countless times now from our 
we keep our nails fairly short and from our nail just nicking her and then it just takes all the skin right off. I've never done that. So many times. Um, like if she gets a small like scratch on her, um, and it sticks to her, like, you know, like you get like a wound and it will stick to your clothes. If it does that on her, it will literally, like, if you pull the shirt off, it'll tear all of the skin up with it for, it's just, it's so gross and horrible. Um, so like, there's a lot of shearing that happens that doesn't get talked about a lot too, but like her skin will shear off extremely easily. So if we see her going for a fall, we're almost for sure that she's just going to have missing skin or a blister. Um, and then blisters are just caused from pretty much any kind of friction or, um, trauma and by trauma, not anything severe, but like if she like falls on the carpet, like, um, or on the grass. Now we know, like we have to check her palms and her knees. We're almost like always going to have a blister. And so we have to pop those. Um, kids are, kids are tough because some kids are just like innately nicer and easier on her because they can just tell. And then some kids are horrible to be around. And so, and it's not their fault at all. Um, but it's, I mean, sometimes it's their fault. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so we just like, we're really cautious about, we are the ultimate helicopter parents, which is so not something that either of us, I think, ever wanted to be or like saw ourselves being. I always wanted to be a pilot. Oh my gosh. So like, right. Normal parents, like you could just like let your kid go and play and like, they're going to fall. They're going to get hurt and it's going to be fine. If Isla falls and plays, it's extremely traumatic for like the other kids that are around her too, because now she's missing a huge chunk of skin from her face or whatever. Yeah. Whatever the case is. Um, it's, it's her face. Or, uh... Well, like, visually, it's always her face that freaks kids out the most. Yeah. So. Anyways, pretty much anything can cause owies on her. Oh, we call them ouchies in our house, so. So... Other people call them, uh, what happened to her? (laughs) What? What's wrong with her? What happened to her face? (laughs) I think that's a technical term, right? Yeah, Yeah. Why does she look like that? Did you, like, drag her in gravel? <laughs> I think that was my favorite question I got asked once. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The audacity. Yeah. So I would say that we'd be shocked, but, I mean, we've seen the world we live in. What is our... Uh, like, what is your plan for her going forward? I mean, what what's di- what changes as she gets older? and what, What's going to be different for you guys as she gets older? <laughs> I was going to say something really positive. Like, we're just looking to keep her alive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey. I mean. I'm not going to judge you if that's what it is. <laughs> right. I mean, it, I mean. That, I'm in I the mean, same it's boat. Semi, it's semi-true. I mean. Um, we don't. We don't really know. Yeah, we haven't really ever regards. made a plan. I think. Um, I'm just a pessimistic person by nature. And so, I think once they told us those timelines regardless of being cautiously optimistic or anything, I just didn't believe things would work out well. And I'm like, I have a lot of faith and like, I have a lot of like hope, but I also like am a realist in the sense of like, that's just not, 
Evie is unforgiving. And so I don't think we ever really made plans for her. But we would like her to have, up to this point, in every sense that we can with a kid with Evie, we've tried to live a very normal life with her. Um, and so... That's kind of what I was going to say. Was like, yeah. we, we want her to be able to do as much as possible, like, experience as much as possible. Like, obviously, like, as she gets older, she'll, she'll have the freedom to decide her own limitations for what she does. I remember one of the very first stories Felicia and I read was about this family who they basically like, they try and let their daughter do as much as she feels comfortable doing. They went whitewater rafting. Their daughter did ballet and they knew that her feet hurt and they knew that her feet were covered in blisters from doing it and all this stuff. But that was what she wanted to do. And that was what she loved. And so like, we kind of want to have that same approach with like, as much as Isla wants to push and like kind of like you know test test her boundaries so to speak or whatever like I, I mean boundaries doesn't feel feel like the right word but but it's kind of true like we while we're helicopter parents and we're gonna have an eye on her at all times and like there are a lot of moments in our every single day-to-day life where we're like slow down don't run or you're not wearing gloves like we're, we'll try to keep her safer the same time like she just like plays like a normal kid like so she goes outside she plays in the park she she loves to kick her ball around she loves to run down the hill and we know she's gonna fall and like I think Cody and I just sit on bated breath waiting for her to fall every single time but we want her to like experience life um and I think that's just kind of gonna be our approach going forward we want her to go to school obviously that has its own, like, bag of tricks we have to figure out um, and making sure that there's, like, a nurse available for her and so on and so forth. But we want her to have as normal of a life as she possibly can. And we try, like I said, to not coddle her a ton. Um, and I think that has helped a lot because I, I was fairly unaware of her own EB at times, which is really interesting. Um, so, like... She'll notice every alley that you have, but, like, she doesn't really, like, pay attention to her, her own at all. It kind of lures you into a false sense of security because she, because she's in such a great mood all the time, like, unless something has literally just happened to her, because she's just, like, such a, like, positive, like, vibrant, like, joyful personality, you you forget sometimes that, like, she has all this stuff going on, and you forget that, like, her, she's, like, she has this level of pain tolerance that none of us have because she literally just lives in this world where her body is constantly, you know, uh, like, in some sort of pain or, you know, or whatever. Yeah, like, we read somewhere, Isla has... That's five minutes. Oh, high five. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Isla has never, (laughs) wait, what was I going to say? Uh, you should have warned me. We were talking about the false sense of security. Oh, she's never known a day without pain. That is like more than a normal human would experience. And so like, I think I read that like the pain that a kid with EB experiences in like a very short amount of time is what a normal person would experience over the course of their entire life. So it's pretty incredible what she's capable of dealing with. Uh, that isn't to say that we don't have, like, wound changes that are, you know, just 
screams and yeah it's heartbreaking but once we're done once it's done once we've wrapped her once we've bandaged her and taken care of her she's just like ready she does not give an f about nothing she's ready for the she world off and running and doing whatever she wants i just want you guys to all know that we only have five minutes left so we're actually under five yeah time time does continue to tick so yes yeah. but awesome there's probably a lot we can go on about um but i don't know thank you guys for talking about it. i'm sure you guys have talked about it a lot over the last two and a half years <laughs> yeah it's actually it's not bad we like to i'm like it. it's to me it's like it's part of the undertaking when you have a kid with eb like your responsibility is to educate yeah is to educate and keep people informed and to let people know what it is and stuff because a lot of people don't know what it is we didn't really well felicia knew one person i had no idea what eb was when i was born and it's like you know the more people that know you know um you know hopefully the better you know outlook you know for things going forward in terms of help and raising awareness and raising you know funds for finding a cure and all that kind of stuff on that note, you can also go to ebresearch.org um, if you're interested in learning anything else about EB. Um, and a lot of the funds that they have go directly to research for finding a cure for EB. Um, and then we're also a huge fan of Deborah.org. Yep. I think that's the, I really hope I'm plugging the right websites. Um, but Deborah.org is pretty amazing. They helped us insanely when I was first born with helping us getting bandages. Um, and they're another nonprofit that, uh, does a lot of good work. Yeah. A lot of really great work and both will educate you quite a bit on EB and then also gives you options to donate. Should you feel inclined to do so? Facts. Sweet. Yeah. Well, again, thanks everyone for listening. (laughs) All eight, all eight of our listeners. (laughs) We'll, it's better than seven. We'll see. We'll see if uh, Felicia and Tracy ever make appearances again. We'll see. I was gonna say we we talked about it. If <laughs> just in case when you guys when you guys come visit, who knows? Oh my god, so fun! That's a great group, idea. Group pod. Group pod. <laughs> group. Poop. Never mind. Group All right. Poop. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> Signing off. Bye. <laughs>